This is the FakeShimp.net podcast. My name's Glenn. I'm joined by Jarrett. And we're here to talk about 2019, the year in cinema, as well as the last decade of cinema. Cue the old intro, Glenn. First you want to kill me. Now you want to kiss me. Blow. I'm going to amp this baby up. See how it sounds. Two thousand and nineteen, it's been a massive year of films. Been a lot of good stuff this year. We're gonna start with the best of the year? I think so. I think what we do is we give the the people out there our number one film. Yep. Then we hold back the other nine until early in the new year because I've got to catch up on a few films there's like Parasite I still haven't seen it yet neither have I you haven't seen it no and I kind of I think I feel like it should be on my list yeah I feel the same so I'm glad you said that I also went on a radio show recently and a couple of my uh, top 10 list uh, picks didn't quite go down too well because they might be released on New Year's Day right Uh, you know and um, plus I also included Apocalypse Now The Final Cut yeah, that's fair, though. I was told I couldn't. No, you totally can. Okay. well, Because it's, if it's a new cut that's what of I an said. existing film, and it's been released in this year's <laughs> theatrical, yep. absolutely. That's what I said, but I have I have removed it from my list anyway, just you know, just to avoid any kind of right, that's understandable, man. So we're, we're basically giving everyone the burger with no bun. So you're just getting <laughs> the meat. This is the meat. This is the big one. So do you want to kick us off with your number one film of the year? Absolutely. My number one film of the year is a, a very under underrated little film. Uh, it's called Wild Rose. Uh, you saw this one too. I did. Yeah? I went to a screening. Same screening as you, I think. We went to a critic screening of it. Absolutely. Yeah. And it, it's a musical drama. It's British. Uh, this has been a big year for sort of jukebox musical films. You know, mm-hmm. a lot mm-hmm. of uh, music orientated films have come out. I guess it's the flavour of the time. And I think this is by far the best of them. It's essentially about a young aspiring country singer. Uh, sort of from a, a projects area in London, sort of, mm. I don't know what they call the projects in London, but you know, mm. sort of a welfare class sort of area. Absolutely. And she's gone off the rails. She's sort of a bit of a drunk. She's a bit of a party girl. She's essentially abandoned her child, left her with her mother, mm. really wants to be a country singer, but doesn't have the real get up and go to do it. Um, and and in, in saying that, everything else in her life has been ditched, ignored for her dream. It's the it's almost like a it's not a rags to riches story by any means. It's almost like a rags to rags story, you yeah, know, like true. the way this story goes. There's a lot of personal development and growth going on. Anyway, it's definitely the best film of the year. I connected with this one on a very very strong emotional what level? It's uh the character I I, I hated this character. Oh, absolutely. I hated it. Like, but even from start to finish, I didn't find that there were too many redeeming qualities about this girl whatsoever. Right, right. But I liked that about it. Yeah, you know, yeah. I like that frustration when you don't connect. The underdog yeah. story, but you don't actually have to be, yeah. you know, loving the person. You just, you you, you watch their plight yeah. and you, you back them, but you don't have to love them. And when your emotional connection with a film isn't necessarily the traditional positive emotional connection that most people have with any given film, mm. I love that. You know, we watched a film very, very recently where I was talking to you about how... I was emotionally frustrated and suffered anxiety watching these characters, but it's, right, it's yeah. that emotion that really hammers, a, it, hammers it home for There's me. a lot of cringe moments in the film too, which sometimes play against expectation. There's a scene where she's in the car of like her, her employer's husband and you think it's going to go one way and it goes another way, but it's equally uncomfortable. 
Yeah. Um, and it's just, it's just, it, it kind of keeps working on your nerves throughout, you know. Yep. And look, none of this is spoiler territory by any means. No. But like this, this girl is given so many second chances. You know, she's given these opportunities to redeem herself over and over again, and she just squanders it every single time. She completely just throws away one opportunity after another. And I think that's another thing. I was so angry watching this film. <laughs> I was. I was really angry. But you know what? The music in it is brilliant. I'm Red not one. a massive country singer, you know, country music fan, but this music is really, really on it's point. It's great. Yeah. It's great. And, and who, do you know who wrote some of the music for the film? No, I don't, to be honest with you. Um, I feel like Mary, I should. Mary Steinberg? Is that her name? The actress? Yeah, yeah. She wrote... Oh, Mary Steinbergen. Steinberg. Yes, I yeah, had heard right. that. Yeah, no, she has, yeah. There's a great video on YouTube where she talks about writing the music and everything of that nature. Very cool. Very I cool. had I had read that and forgotten yeah. all about I was it. I because we did see this movie, what, it came out on Home In around September. Yeah. And I think we saw it back in June, so yeah. at the screening. Yeah, no, that blows my mind to to hear that again because yeah. I, I just erased that from my memory. Yeah. It's also and great yeah. cast in it too. Like Julie Walters turns up as uh, as Rose's mum. Yeah, absolutely. And look, the um the main actress in this one, I'm trying to remember her name. I think Jessie Buckley is that? Yeah, yeah. Jessie Buckley. She's fantastic, and she recently popped up in Judy, uh, the oh, Judy Garland yeah, film. Yeah, she right. was Judy's assistant. Right. And. I hope this. I hope this actress has a longevity in her career yeah, because she's choosing some great roles. Because she was in Beast, um, I think maybe two years back as well, which was a very unusual. I forgot about that film. Yeah, drama yep. film. So yeah, she's a real talent. Do you to know watch. this one? Wild Rose was the first thing I've really noticed her in. Yeah. So it, yeah. it feels like it's a bit of a an announcement of a of a potentially big actress. I hope she really takes off. But it's also directed by a guy called Tom Harper. Right. Now, this guy before Wild Rose had done that sequel to The Woman in Black. Oh, what? The Woman in Black 2? Angel of Death. That was awful. Yeah, well, that was his film. Right, right, right. Uh, he did The Borrowers in 2011, which I think was like a BBC-style production. Right. Uh, and a few other films that really haven't resonated, but he does have a brand new one coming out called The Aeronauts. Okay. Which I believe is an Amazon Prime original. Right. So right. he's directed a bit of TV too. I think he did like Peaky Blinders and some right. other sort of British fare. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, anyway, that's my number one. What What about you? Well, funnily enough, mine is a musically sort of orientated film as well. It's not Blinded by the Light. I did quite like that film. Oh, I did not. Um, he didn't. No, it no. slipped out. Of, I think it slipped out of my top ten to be honest. But I did really, really dig it. Um, but my number one's actually from New Zealand. It's a film called Daffodils which I caught at the Melbourne International Film Festival back in August. But this is a film that I've kind of had this bit of a weird relationship with because it came out in cinemas in New Zealand when I was in New Zealand working on a film. And I really wanted to see it, but I knew it was the type of film that I should see with my wife. It is at, you know, well, I'll tell you a little bit about the film, um, but I'll just tell you a bit about my story with the film. Anyway, I held off seeing it. Uh, and then I was back in New Zealand for another film unfortunately uh, it had come out on home end but I bought the tickets for Miff so I figured I won't buy the DVD I'll just go and see it in the cinema and I saw it in the cinema with my wife and I'm so glad I got to see it on the big screen immersed with surround sound because it was just a, an incredible experience the only thing I can say is I wish they wouldn't turn the house lights up so fast because I was an emotional wreck after the movie <laughs> finished and that's not really a spoiler as such but it's, it's, a, it's a bittersweet love story um, and it is, you see the start, you know, it, it's told with this sort of wraparound of the daughter that's sort of leading the story through, sto through song and narration about how her parents first met and how their relationship sort of came apart at the seams. Um, and it's just beautiful because I just, the lead actress 
Rose McIver, who was in iZombie, I think was the yep. WB series. Um, she's just incredible. I think she's just so charming and, you know, innocent and beautiful and she's just a gentle soul. She really embodies like a 1960s right through to Absolutely. 80s kind of persona. Absolutely. And that's the thing. Yeah, this, this film is period set. So you are going through those eras from the 60s right through to present day. And it's incredible. There's a montage sequence in it too where they kind of flash through years within the decade. And for me, the production design and costuming was A+. plus. Like, looking at that stuff and replicating that period without going overboard, they did it really, really well. Um, but, yeah, it's just so moving. And music is an integral part of the film. And all the songs that are featured in the movie were all, like, you know, iconic New Zealand pop songs from those eras. And those songs have been re-recorded by Kimbra, who is actually the daughter that's providing some of the song and narration throughout the film and acts in it too. It's the first time she's acted in the film and she did an incredible She's fantastic. Job. So she does all the music, uh, well, most of the singing in the movie and on the soundtrack, and it's with an outfit that she's got called Lips that was formed, I think, just for this film. And then Rose McIver and the male lead in the film, George Mason, they do all their singing parts and they've got terrific voices as well. And it just... You just, I just get completely lost in the music. I've seen the film three times, but I tell you what, when I ran my Spotify, you know, most played whatever mm. thing of this year, this soundtrack yep. was right up there with some of my favourite bands like the Get Up Kids and Death Cab for Cutie. Um, and yeah, it's just, it. I just completely fell in love with the movie. Unfortunately though, um, post-screening at Myth, where it played two sold-out screenings, um, the local distributor of the film Transmission sort of made the decision not to go theatrical with it in Australia. I'm not entirely sure why. Uh, so it will only be coming out in Australia in February of next year on home entertainment and only on DVD, sadly, which, you know, for me is a bit of a heartbreak because I'm a massive 4K yeah. enthusiast. I didn't expect it to get a 4K release, but at bare minimum, a Blu-ray. But look, the DVD does a good enough job and there's plenty of special features on there, a few featurettes and that that are really interesting. But That is a real um, shame yeah. that it's, it's not going theatrical because it's a beautiful film. And, a and film. just before when I was talking about that other film that I was emotionally mm. connected to, that was this one and it was an hour ago. You, you showed this to me tonight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it blew me away. Like I'm now reconsidering my top 10 and <laughs> trying glad, to I'm figure glad. out where I can crowbar it in because yeah. it's beautiful. Um, it is once again a bit of a jukebox musical, mm. uh, as you said. But it's it's hard to explain what it's like. I guess there's a, like there's an element of grease in there, to be honest with you. Yeah, like yeah. you know, right yeah, towards absolutely. the start with that the '60s stuff. Yeah. But also, um, I'm thinking a little bit of um, across the universe. Yeah, yeah, um, absolutely. Definitely a little bit of Wild Rose, maybe even yeah, some Blinded yeah. by the Light, or even some of your other favourites like Once or something like that. Absolutely. That, you know, Once is a good tiny. one. Yeah. It's sort of such a hard film to describe too, because yes, it is a musical. But it's not, it's not your typical type of musical. They, they they do break into song, but it is all tied within, you know, the context. Of the it's film. lyrically connecting. Yeah. yeah, lyrically connecting into the narr- into the narrative itself. And at times, song is used to convey, you know, the subtext of feeling, like what what you're actually going through without ever saying a word. There was a fantastic sung. moment, without any spoiler whatsoever, where there's something going on on screen, but he's singing. Yes. But in the moment. He's not. Like, it's hard to explain. Yes, like, yes. they're doing something. These two characters Absolutely. are interacting, but there's words coming out of his mouth that are in musical. And it, yeah. But you know he's not. Like, it's it's yeah, very it's, it's, complicated yeah. to explain, it's, but it, when you watch it, you're like, wow, that's very it's, clever. It's done really well. It's, like, really seamless. Like, having worked, you know, on editing over the years, I don't even know. Like, at the moment, I'm, I'm working on a trailer edit for a film, 
And that is challenging as it is, trying to tell someone else's story in a condensed two to three minutes sort of thing, especially when the film's non-linear. That's super difficult. But incorporating all of this, like you've got the drama, you've got the music, and you've got to tie it all yeah. and make it sort of seamless and not take people out of the movie to go, oh, hang on, you're singing again, or hang on, I don't know what's going on. Um, and it's just masterfully well, done. Usually, you'd add the music later. Yes, yes. But they've filmed this with the music in mind. Yeah, yeah. And I was thinking that as I'm watching it. I'm thinking, how did you orchestrate this? Because mm. there are scenes where it'll go for three minutes without a cut, where yeah. they're talking, doing this, doing that, yeah. and suddenly one will break into a song, yeah. midway through the song, Yeah, yeah. Of stop course, again, yeah. interact, and then the other one will pick up about two minutes later. Yeah, The yeah. same song... I, it just blows my mind how they put this together. It's incredible. And we should also talk about like the aspect ratio was delicious. Oh, it was it's great. So it's, good. it's full cinemascope, so it's just magnificent. And you see so much of the New Zealand countryside yep. as well as you know the Hamilton um, Botanic Gardens there. And it's just it's and it's just shot beautifully, graded so well. Yes. We were talking about the grade on it. The color grade. They kind of bring a bit of element of like almost technicolor about it at points in time. But it's like technicolor with a mm. very slight washed out quality to it yeah, to give it a yeah. sort of a time frame. Absolutely. You know? It yeah. sort of augments certain elements. And and as the movie progresses, you sort of see that shift as the colors like you can kind of see what the eighties look like, what present day looks like, and it and it is a contrast throughout, which is really really cool. So. The fact that you know the director David Stubbs, and this being his first feature film, yeah, um, has accomplished that with the cinematography is a real feat. And one thing I did want to mention, it's originally it began as a book, then that book was adapted into like a stage musical, which mm -hmm. was quite popular in New Zealand, and it's even come to Australia to tour. It was here in Melbourne back in maybe 2015 or so, and then since it became this movie. And now this movie was actually really big in New Zealand. It was like when I was there, you couldn't escape the posters. They were everywhere. And the film was in cinemas for weeks. Even when I went over that second film, when it hit DVD, there was posters for the DVD release around. So, yeah, it's just heartbreaking to think that this this thing that happened, you know, only four hours away on a flight yep. um, isn't kind of going to get the eyes that it needs here. It may be one of those films that in time will end up on a streaming platform yep. and find its audience there locally. But I really hope that... It's embraced overseas and that we you know maybe it gets a good run in the states or the uk or something like the uk seems like it would really suit them i think maybe yep. not less the united states but more the uk but yeah i don't know i don't know if there's anything more i can say about daffodils i know there is because i could talk about this film for days <laughs> i talk about this film so often that people are convinced to buy the dvd from mighty ape from um yeah from, you know new zealand to yep. get it to australia to watch it and look if i haven't sold it enough for you February is an awful long time to wait. And if you ordered it from Mighty Eight, you could have this thing within a couple of days. And where can you find Mighty Eight? You can go to our website and you can actually go through. And we'd love you if you would do that because any referrals we do helps us produce this show. So please support us and support Mighty Eight. <laughs> Fakechimp.net. <laughs> should, uh, should we maybe talk about some more bets, but let's go through the decade? Yeah, let's do it too. We're 2018. At the, we're at the end of a decade, man. I know. This I don't is... know. It just crept up. It did. So we've done 2019. 2019. All right. So 2018, you can mm. go first. Okay. Well, 2018, I'm going to go with Paul Thomas Anderson's uh, Phantom Thread. Ah. It was, I love Phantom Thread. Like, and it was a real comeback movie for P.T. Anderson for me because I hadn't been a fan of his inherent vice. 
Yeah. I really did not like it. I've watched the film twice. I will watch it a third time because I'm convinced there's there's things I like about it, but on the whole, I just don't like the film. Yeah, right. The Master, I have a bit of a love and hate relationship. I think there's some incredible scenes in the movie, and I think it looks magnificent. Yeah. You know, Joaquin's performance and Philip Seymour Hoffman's performances are phenomenal, but I just don't, um, I just don't love the movie. It's been a long time. Like Punch Drunk Love was oh no sorry there will be blood which yeah. is one of my all time favorite well, films. Well, I haven't like I haven't liked yeah. this stuff since Punch Punch right. Drunk. That was the last yeah. last great film he's done. You didn't and like There Will Be Blood for you? No. No. This is very similar yeah. in tone to There Will Be Blood. It's very much Yeah, no, the I've same. seen it. Oh, I've yeah, seen yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. But, but if anyone else out there hasn't seen it, yeah. That's exactly what it is. <laughs> um and that that for me was a good thing because I kind of went, "Oh, thank God, he's kind of gone to tell a story in this way yeah. like I was so confused by Inherent Vice like I knew what was going on but I just found that my mind was drifting to other places I was like hang on what is going on in this movie again yep um, if you want to see an infinitely better version of that film see Under the Silver Lake <laughs> like that is a much better hipster <laughs> sort of detective story you didn't like that not really that's one of my favourite films this I year, know so it blew my mind when I, when wow. I heard that you didn't like that that much no okay well that's you can right. read my review if you want to oh you've got a review yeah. for that one do you I'll Stack have to write Magazine. Stack yeah. yes that's right no I will I will have to read it um, but yeah, Phantom Thread, you know, I, I'm not going to go through the synopsis of this film because we'd have to do it for every one of these films. Yep. So crossing over to you, your favourite from 2000? Yeah, it's a it's a film called You Were Never Really Here oh, with yeah, Joaquin yeah. Phoenix. Oh, right, uh, yeah, it's yeah. a film that's infinitely better than The Joker. It's yes. a much, it's the same kind of gritty kind of yep. uh, atmosphere and ambience to it. Taxi driver-esque. Yes. Um, all about a guy that essentially rescues a girl from a an illegal brothel. Yeah. There's a whole sort of sex trafficking ring, ring going on, but he's, he does so in a very beautifully violent manner. Um, yeah. It's yeah. very, very low-key. Feels like an early Scorsese film. Yeah. I just like the dank, dirty kind of atmosphere they conjure in this one. I like his character. It's very similar character to Joker, to be honest with you. He's very reclusive and antisocial and all that kind of stuff. Uh, he has former experience, you know, in the criminal world. He knows how to be violent in the right ways. Yeah. Uh, I won't go into it. But he's still got heart because like, it's not a major spoiler. There is a scene where he basically kills someone but then he's there to sort of see them through to the other side and it's like a really That's right. moving moment. And yeah. Like, he's got a humanity. Obviously, he's got a lot of humanity about him because he rescues this girl. You yeah. Know, and that, that becomes his sole mission, like, you know, Travis Bickle in Taxi Driver. It's very really focused. Wants to do it. Yeah. Director Lynn Ramsey, though, she's incredible. She did um, We Need to Talk About Kevin, which is one yes. of my favourite films. It's a great film. Incredible. It's a great film. Um, yeah, so this one just blew my mind. I um, That was going to be my number one from the second I saw it. So, shall we move on? Yes, sir. 2017. 2017. You want me to kick this off? Yep. 2017. Right. Well, for me, there is no doubt it is a ghost story. The oh, David Lowry film. <laughs> I knew you would say of that. It is. I've seen this. I've seen this film now four times. Yep. I've seen it twice in the cinema. I saw it as soon as I got the Blu-ray, and then for my birthday this year, I said to Danny, "We have to watch a ghost story," uh, and she was cool with it because she loves it as well. But I tell you what, I think a ghost story is possibly my favourite film of all time. Isn't that weird? A film that was produced like in 2017 is possibly my all-time favourite film. I just I adore this movie. If you and could it see moves my face, every time. if you could see my face, this is not a visual medium. <laughs> my jaw has dropped. That's a that's a big call. I know. It just every time there's an, it speaks to me in such a way that I can't articulate. It's beautiful. I just, I, yeah, I'm just yeah. so moved by it, and yeah. I just love the journey of it, and I just caught up in the scenes. You know, when you watch a film, sometimes you're like, you would just love to jump in the frame, yeah, yeah. just to do, you know, just to be in that moment. 
And that's just kind of is that, is that kind that, of like you know? the Gemini Man effect? Because you just jump in that frame. Like I haven't seen the Gemini. Oh, okay. <laughs> did, did anyone? Oh, well, yeah. No, that's right. The critics because they hated it. Um, I'm gonna. They jumped right in. <laughs> yeah, I got to catch up with that one in January. Don't, Actually, what's that funny story about that movie? I remember uh, you said it to me about Gemini Man that he shot it at like whatever it is, like the accelerator frame rate, forty-eight yep. frames per second. And then when the film's being released in the US. No cinema complaint. Yeah, something like, like that. I, I don't yeah. know if that was me that told that story, I, but I, I, do, like I have you, heard that. I think you told me, and I was yeah. like, oh, the irony. Yeah. You're, you're basically creating something new, and then the you know the medium you've created it for, the cinemas, they too can't much, even play it as it is. Yeah, incredible. <laughs> um, uh, anyway, that I'm sure that film will come up later on when we discuss some worsts of the year. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's a ghost story for me, man. I love it. Hands know. down, no, it's a great choice. It is a beautiful film. Mine would be The Big Sick. Which oh, was, yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, of course. Uh, look, I, I can't even remember the name of that lead actor, the guy that's just taken off. He's from, from Silicon Valley. Silicon Valley. Mm-hmm. He's recently in uh, Stuba. Um, I love Stuba. I feel ashamed that I've come to this podcast without prepping that information. Yes. But the film itself, Ray, Ray Romano is also in it. Um, just a really, really earnest, beautiful kind of dramatic comedy yeah. um, about an interracial relationship. A girl becomes very ill uh, and it's all about him sort of Becoming part of this family that's sort of not culturally savvy. Yeah. But also dealing with this very heavy situation with the girl that's sort of... She's in a coma, I think, for most of the film. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and the, the, the banter between him and Ray Romano, who Ray Romano's trying to become sort of, you know, educated in you know, yes. interracial things. <laughs> and there's some great, yeah. great lines in there. Particular favourite is when Ray Romano asks him what he thinks of 9-11. Oh, yes. And he turns around and says it was, a, it was a very tragic day. We lost like seven of our best men. <laughs> <laughs> best line in the whole film. That one really did it for me. It made me laugh. Yeah. It made me cry. It's, um, it's definitely worth a look. You know what's weird, actually? I just realised I saw The Big Sick and A Ghost Story the same day. Oh, really? Yeah. I went to a preview screening of both of the films on the same day. And it was like the best. Because I took along. I went with the wife, but another friend of mine and his uh, partner came along and they love The Big Sick and they're not so down with the art house sort of films. Yep. And I remember thinking during the pie-eating scene of a ghost story, oh, what's my mate think of this? And then the minute we walked out, he's like, how about that pie scene? <laughs> and I was like, could that have gone any longer? But yeah, I saw both those films. Now, I want to mention too, The Big Sick was actually, is it based on a true story? Yeah. Because it's uh, the lead whose name that we can't remember. I feel like we should be looking this up. I feel like his name's uh starts with a K. Oh, don't, don't. But yeah, anyway. Don't guess because uh, you could no, fall into a very deep exactly. bowl if you do. And I'm never great at pronouncing anyone's names. Um, but it's based on his uh, wife, uh, like a real account of him and his wife. See, I've got she wrote it, the screenplay. I've got his name in front of me, but I'm too scared to say it. We can't pronounce it, can we? Kamal, that's his first name. Yep, yep. Nanajani? Yeah. Command Nanajani? Yeah, that's it. That's, yep. I think you've nailed it, dude. I almost fell into a Daryl Midkiff kind of... <laughs> <laughs> Daryl <Mid-Kif. laughs> Um, You go back to another podcast to get that reference. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's not many um, podcasts where we covered anything that Daryl Midkiff was in, so I'm pretty sure you'll be able to find that one. Um, so moving on, 2016, Glenn, do you want me to kick this off? Uh, yeah, we'll just go back right, and forth. Yeah, it makes sense. Otherwise, I'm just going to put you on the spot. Two I don't row. mind either way. Um, Anonymalisa. I mean, oh, I yes. raved the hell out of this till back in You sure did. And, and I don't think I had oh. seen it when you were raving about no, it. No. I, I then went and saw it. And I yeah. agree with you. It's brilliant. It's such a great movie. It's not my number one, but it's brilliant. It's a great movie. Yeah, it's um for me. And again, this is another comeback movie. Like Charlie Kaufman, you know, hadn't really done a lot for a while, I think. 
the last thing prior to that from memory was that Cynic Doc New York, maybe? And that was like a decade before, possibly. And that was a doozy. That was a. Yeah, I wasn't super enamored with it. Yeah, I wanted to love it because it was really clever, but it just wasn't yep. terribly entertaining. I agree. And Honorable Melissa was just phenomenal. And it was co-directed by with Charlie Kaufman as well. The other chap, I think, is a guy that had come from a more animation sort of background, which makes a lot of sense. But um, just a really incredible story and incredibly moving as well. Again, I think um, that's another movie that when I watch it, it just hits that emotional note for me every time. Well, the irony of it, of course, is that I don't think any other film has captured the human condition quite as astutely as an animated I film. I know, it's ridiculous, isn't it? Yeah, it's a beautiful film. Ridiculous, incredible. And then, of course, you've got those insane moments where Charlie Kaufman just goes into the most bizarre territory that you could imagine, the sex doll, yep. the toy Japanese sex doll thing, insane. But uh, there's a beautiful moment with um, Jennifer Jason Lee's character, Lisa, when she's singing uh, Cindy Lauper's Girls Just Want to Have Fun, but singing it Japanese. Mm. I know French. Maybe it's in French. I can't remember now. I need to revisit it. But admittedly, I have seen it like three or four times, but I'm well overdue for it. But moving on to you, 2016, what was your... uh, Well, there are no surprises here. Everybody wants some. Oh, yes, of course. Classic film. The Richard Linkletter spiritual sequel to Dazed and Confused. This film just had me from the get-go. I think I was probably 10 minutes into this film Mm. when I knew it was going to be my number one. Yeah, right. Something right. about it. I don't know if you recall it. It opens up. It's it's a frat house kind of movie, you yeah. know. It's like a throwback to, I guess, you know, Animal House. Even you know, this, yeah. this college. Yeah. It's the last week of college before exams, and no one's studying. They're all just partying hard. Yeah. But it starts off with all these mates in a car traveling down a road, just singing a song together. Yeah. But the link letter lets them sing the whole song. It's not oh, like no. you just get a little montage or a yeah. snippet. They go from start to finish, and it's yeah. just sensational. But the film's funny. I think it's yeah. it's a little bit tender. Uh, I like it more than Days and Confused, which wow, a lot of a people... Cool. Yeah. Uh, I've copped a lot of shit for that, but cool. I don't know. I just find this one is paced so much better. Yeah. I think um, a lot of the characters are far more... They're far more fleshed out. Yeah, right. Um, right. Yeah, it just does it for me. So that would be my 2016. Cool what would be your 2015? 2015 for me was uh, David Robert Mitchell's It Follows. Another film. Yeah. Like, how much do I remember that you can go back and the most how I talk about this film yeah. non-stop and use any opportunity to bring it up. But It Follows. Look, everyone's seen it. Um, a lot of people like it. Some people hate it. I still think it's a brilliant I love it. work. It's so good. It's just so suspense-driven. The mystery about it, the score, the performances. It's a tight film that still puts me on edge every time I watch it. Like, I've seen it multiple times. I know what's going to happen. But the score and the building of tension, everything just gets me every single time. And I just love it. Yeah, I, I was on board from that with yeah. that from the get-go. It was a great film. Very John Carpenter-esque. Oh, absolutely. You know? yeah. So my 2015 would be Mad Max Fury Road. Of yeah, which I still would argue is possibly the greatest action film of the last... 20 years yeah, yeah. I just think it's a it's a masterwork um, artistically it's better than all the other Mad Maxes yeah, I don't think yeah. it is the best Mad Max but I think right, right. I think technically and artistically you could argue that this is the pinnacle yeah. of the action genre to be honest yeah, with right, you the right. amount of practical in this yeah. that is just mind boggling Like you yeah. can't even comprehend how they would do this unless you saw the behind the scenes on how yeah. they did it I think the, the, the disappointing fact is that Mel Gibson didn't come back because I think that would have really tied this one in brilliantly to the whole saga. Totally. Having said that, you know, Tom Hardy's pretty good. Mm. 
he's not the main character, which is good. Even though the films are called Mad Max, it's never really been about him, other than the first film. Yeah. Outside of that, it's about he's got to get from A to Z, and everything is incidental. He just yeah. finds himself in these situations that he just wants to get out of. And so it's, it's more the story around him that's important. This is the same thing. Everyone was complaining at the time that this is, you know, Charlie Theron is the star and this is all about these women. It's not about Max. And it's like, well, the third film was about kids. It wasn't about Max. Yeah, totally. You know, and same with the second film. Like, it's just yeah. one of those things. I think it's a brilliant, brilliant film and I'm looking forward to the next one. And, and how did the... Because oh, I never saw it, but I assume you did the Black and Chrome yeah. version of it. How did that play? It's shit. You can... Oh, really? um, yeah. you can. I have a review yeah. on Fake Shemp if yeah. you want to go and have a look. The Black and Chrome is very wanky it's very yeah. distracting i think you take all the colors out you lose the magic of the film yeah because that's the thing it's such a heightened colored film yeah. yeah and i mean he argued at the time that i always wanted to do a black and white film it's like well i think this is more gimmick than anything yeah but it's not black and white it's black and chrome which means right. that the blacks or the whites in it are more silver right okay. silver and black yes yeah and it just looks really jarring to me yeah. i got maybe 45 minutes into it and i just couldn't do any more so yeah, anyway, gorgeous stuff. Um, let's go to 2014. 2014, sir. Look, my favourite film that I publicly declared my number one in 2014 was Grand Budapest Hotel. Mm-hmm. However, not that I dislike the film. It's just on repeat viewing of the movie, it didn't quite hold the same that value happens. for me. Yeah. yeah, you know, and I still enjoyed it, but... Um, I think at the time for me it was a bit of a comeback movie for Wes Anderson because yeah. I hadn't been a big fan of Moonrise Kingdom um, I did like the Fantastic Mr. Fox um, and Life Aquatic uh, there were moments I do I do really like that movie mm. A Darjeeling Limited see I didn't like that film the first time I saw it but upon repeat viewing that I actually think yeah, it's a really it solid it's movie it's a good one um, I find that with all these films that they yeah. don't necessarily resonate with me right from the get-go, but yeah, the revisit but factor is huge. Totally. And if, if you come back that second, like I came back from Moonrise Kingdom, I couldn't get through it. Like really? the first time, I didn't love it at all, but I didn't hate it. I enjoyed it. That's his most accessible for me. You know, his most accessible. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Definitely his most accessible movie. But for me, I just um, I don't know. I just didn't. It just didn't work for me. But Grand Budapest Hotel, you know, I do like it, but that's not my favorite film of 2014 anymore. My favourite film in 2014 has moved from somewhat number seven to number one, and I have probably watched it maybe four times since seeing it theatrically. It's actually Kevin Smith's Tusk. Right, so we could have just said Tusk from the start. And, I know, and, I know. Yeah. No, I, just, I wanted to talk about the Grand Budapest Hotel. I'm so, glad, I'm so glad you said this, because I was having yeah. a conversation with someone the other day. I don't know how, but Tusk came into it, yeah. and I said to them, Tusk is one of those underrated gems. It's like a film so that good. deserves far more recognition than Absolutely. it did. And I went so far as then to say, in fact, I think Yoga Hoses is the same. I think the... the oh, God. No, dude. <laughs> <laughs> I, when when I first saw Yoga yeah. Hoses, it was the worst film of the year for me. Like Absolutely, I yeah. hated it with a passion, right? Yeah, right and I right. ragged on it. Oh. And you know what? I reckon I've seen it ten times now. And you, you, you each like time it. it gets better and better. I will give it. There is something viewing. about this yeah. one that just grows on you, right. and I love it. But uh, Tusk, yeah. I think, is just it's an incredible film. Stunning. I think we did such. We both did reviews of it when it came out theatrically yeah. on the Bakeshift.net website, and I think we both did pretty glowing reviews of it, but. Yeah, it's just, I think, like, Kevin it appreciates. Smith did such a great job, yeah. He, he actually directed a horror film. It yep. had his elements of humour about it. Um, but it's just, it's just such an incredible film. And again, it's an emotional chord with me. Yeah. At the end of the movie, there's a moment that really hits an emotional chord with me. And that, um, that 
rather gratuitous moment where Fleetwood Mac come into it, singing oh Task is just yeah. so good. When oh. that came on, I thought, man, I'm in a movie right now. Absolutely. Like, this is just working for me on every level. Absolutely. Yeah, it's a beautiful film. And yeah. I'm just, I, I, I really want the third one, Moose Jaws, to come I know, out. No, he's got to do it. Surely he's got to do it. You now can't. that he's done this new Jay and Silent Bob film, hopefully. He's, he's come this far. I think Yoga yeah. Hoses really was a nail in a coffin for this series, but. Yeah. Man, give that another go. Like it's, I will, I will. Yeah. I definitely need to revisit it. It's I mean, kind of magical. It's Kevin Smith, and this, for me, Tusk was renewed um, faith in Kevin Smith going, oh, this guy can direct more than... Mind you, Red you State know. had come before it, yeah? I did, but I didn't love Red State. I thought the premise was brilliant. I just don't think the execution was there for me. I felt like it was a little bit rushed and under-budgeted. Yeah, fair enough. I thought enough. the build was incredibly tense and suspenseful, Yeah, but then it just felt like a bit undershot, under-budgeted when the whole siege and storming and all that sort of yeah, stuff. Yeah, I loved all that, but I get where you're coming I from. I need to rewatch it. Michael Park's a brilliant... I mean, Michael Park's a brilliant task. Yeah. You know, rest in peace. Um, but yeah, and Justin Long, man, I haven't seen Justin Long in much of late. I actually really like Justin Long. He yeah, same. To do more movies. He really if does. If you're listening, Justin, do more movies. And come on our podcast. And please, please do. <laughs> uh, so 2014 for you, sir. Yeah, it's a documentary called I Am Big Bird, oh, which, couldn't, which couldn't be any more fitting because Carol Spinney recently passed away. Only a few weeks ago. Yeah, so it's essentially I Am Big Bird is a documentary all about Carol Spinney, who is um, the guy inside the yellow feathered suit. He's also the puppeteer of other characters like Oscar the Grouch and whatnot. Uh, it's just a really beautiful doco. I like these sort of docos. They did the Bean Elmo one before it. Right, yeah. Um, and they also did, um, not not that it's from the same makers, but the Life Itself, the Roger Ebert documentary, oh, yes, yes. came out the same year. That was very close to right, being in my top yeah. five as well. Yeah. I love these things that touch upon elements of our childhood of with affection, but it also, it just really highlights these really kind-souled human beings mm. that dedicate their life to educating children and yeah. bringing joy into the world, uh, which, yeah, so that film just hit me in all the feels, and right. yeah, I don't know if it's the best film of the year, but by far my favourite. I think that's all that matters, yep. it's your favourite film. Yep. So now moving on to 2013, Glenn. Which I think this yeah. is the year of Fake Shemp's inception. It was. This was the year that I joined the, uh, yeah. the Fake Shemp team. And, and Justine was with us in 2013. I, I think, think so, too. yeah. yeah. So memory. this is going right back to the birth of Shemp, really. Yeah, yeah. Oh, there you go. Uh, cheap thrills for me. Again, I think I talked your ear off about this movie when it came out. It's a um, Pat Healy, um, oh, the actor whose name I can't think of that was in... Dutch, aka driving me crazy. Oh, Ethan, Ethan Embry. Embry, yep. Ethan Embry. Um, I still haven't seen this one. I'm pretty sure. Oh, you've got to see this. It's it was available through Madman on DVD. So we've come so far that it's deleted it's now. Probably out of print. <laughs> it's probably out of print. No doubt it's on a streaming service. It would yeah. have to be. But it's just a very cheeky um, comedy thriller, and it's just yeah, it's just insane. Where it goes, you wouldn't expect, but. Like, you, you really will not expect. And mm. it's, I think it was written and directed by E.L. Katz. It might have, I don't know if it was his directorial debut. I think it was definitely directed by him. Um, but yeah, it was just an incredible movie, and I'm well overdue to see it again. Now, who else was in it? Um, the chap from America, uh, Anchorman, that's in, you know, the bald chap that's... Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That um, guy, and he's in the goods, you know, so yeah. fast. We should note at this point guy. in time, we're so far down the list, we haven't got notes, so we're just sort yeah, of spitballing. Yeah, we're just riffing. It's all riff. It's all riff. <laughs> we're, particularly when we're talking about Big Sick, all riffing. Yep. Um, but yeah, Cheap Thrills, man. 2013, my number cool. one film. I'm going to... Ha I'll have to check that out. I haven't seen it. got to say, you, I reckon you will love it. Okay, cool. Yeah. Well, mine is a film that you know well. It's called What Maisie Knew. 
Oh my god, I love that movie. We were only just talking about that the other day. Yeah, because yeah. it's a very similar film to Marriage Story, yes. um, the whole Kramer versus Kramer yes. type of thing about a child that gets stuck between a nasty divorce. Mm. Uh, and the film is the is from the child's perspective. Yeah. It's the the breakup of a family unit from a little kid's p- perspective, and yeah. it's just heartbreaking. It's beautiful. I went to see it at the cinema. It had a very limited theatrical run. Limited. But films like this don't even get theatrical runs no, anymore. So, and, and I didn't just see this in the city at an art house cinema. I saw it like locally at like the Croydon Amazing. Cinema, like my my little local. So, yeah, yeah. you know, we've come a long way. You know, for yeah. better or worse, where yeah. things like this just don't hit hit the mark anymore. But yeah, beautiful film. If you really got into a marriage story, the yeah. the, the recent one, you want to check this out because yeah. it is just something. Julianne Moore and. Alexander Skarsgård. Yeah, yeah. Before before Skarsgård was huge. Yeah, oh, I might have been around the True Blood era. Yeah, but maybe. Before he really took off as a, uh, you know, before Tarzan cinema type actor. Yeah, before Tarzan, which was actually quite cool. I love Tarzan. I thought it was enjoyable. I think that made my top ten that year. Yeah, it's understandable. I was hesitant, and I saw it. And I actually really enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah it was a lot of fun. <laughs> so moving down to 2012. 2012 was an interesting year looking back on it because I looked through. You know, I know I obviously had a top 10 for 2012. I couldn't locate that top 10, so I had to go through and look at all the theatrical releases from yeah. 2012. And it was a pretty uninspiring year for me. Having honest, said that, I've got a tie. Well, okay, that's going to be interesting because there was, I was like, there were two films I really loved from that year and yep. I and ultimately just went with the one. Yep. Um, I can't even remember what the other one was now. Um, but it, the number one is Ruby Sparks, which I just thought yeah, was is a that really Paul Dano? clever. Paul Dano and... But yeah, very clever story about a writer who literally writes this woman into existence and when she doesn't, you know, sort of do, when she gets more personality of her own, he constantly tries to rewrite her with an inch of her life. It's very it's, Philip Kaufman kind of oh, thing. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It's very, and it, it, it's, it's, it's funny, it's heartfelt and it's incredibly clever. And yeah, Paul Dano, it was terrific to see him do a role like this because he'd gone from doing, you know, there will be blood and then popping up in bit parts like a Mission Impossible 3 yep. or 4 or whatnot um, and seeing him sort of play this this lead in this film was terrific and of course he's gone on to amazing things then, you know, since like Swiss Army Man yep. I love it yeah 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 um, but Ruby Sparks really really cool film and from memory I think it may have been the filmmaking duo that did Little Miss Sunshine should have done a bit more research on it, but hey, we've delved all the way back to 2012. Ruby Sparks. Okay, cool. Well, I've got a tie here. I'm, I'll touch upon one and then talk mm. about the other. Uh, one was Killing Them Softly, which was the Andrew Dominic film with yes, Brad Pitt yes. and Rose Byrne, and I think Ben Mendelsohn was in that one as well. Uh, this was Ben Mendelsohn just as he was breaking into Hollywood. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, just a really gritty kind of film. Andrew Dominic is the guy that made Chopper, but the other one is Michael Haneke's Amour. Did I you never s- saw more? That picked up the. I think it picked up the big award in Cannes that year. Too. Yeah, most likely the, the accolades were coming at it yeah. left, right, and centre. But Michael Haneke is actually one of the first sort of you know European slash foreign kind of filmmakers I got into as a teenager. Yeah. Even before film school, like you know when you'd watch SBS and things like that. Right. And he yes. made a film way back then called Benny's Video, which oh, God, as yeah. a, as a teenager, nothing yeah. influenced me more than this one. Like Benny's Video was where it's at for me. Yeah. And so I kind of followed his career as he went, obviously, funny games and things like that. Um, but Amour is possibly his most sincere and earnest kind of film. It's, it's a really beautiful story about a, an aged couple yeah. and one suffering from dementia. Yeah, and it's all right. about how to, you know, one looking after the other and what happens when they forget you, the love uh, of your life, you know, 
you know, doesn't remember who you are, but yeah. you're still there for them every step of the way. It's just heartbreaking oh, and tragic. Sounds, and yeah. like I, I, it's a heavy film. I'm really interested, but yeah, it's about finding the right time to watch a movie like that and planning what you're going like to watch even immediately afterward to pick your abs- back You need up. to pick me up. But even like if you recall the poster itself or the DVD cover, yes, yeah. it's got this woman, old woman's face, right? Yeah. And she's staring at her husband. You can't see the husband. It's only right. the back of his head. But she doesn't recognize him in this image, right? right? And yes. he is just sort of projecting love upon her, but yeah. she's not reciprocating. And that's the essence of the film. Like, can you imagine? Oh, yeah. Anyway, so yeah, that one is a soul-destroying kind of film, but life-affirming at the same time. 2011, my friend. 2011. Yeah. Without a doubt, my number one film is uh, Jason Reitman's Young Adult. Oh, wow. I love it. Written by Diablo Cody as well. Maybe Young Adult with Shelley's Theron. Is this the one that got completely savaged at the box office and critically? Um, I think it might have done all right critically. Like I think. Isn't think this the did... one that only did like a few hundred bucks box office in America? No, 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 no. This one did. Uh, was no, that Motherhood? No, yeah, well, that would have been Motherhood because that was pretty much direct to DVD here. I think. That's, that's right. The one that's right. Uma Thurman, yeah. Yes. 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 Yeah. Young My Adult. Bad. No, I think Young Adult reviewed pretty well. Okay, cool. Um, and it was a turnaround film for me with Charlize Theron because I always thought she was a good actress. Don't get me wrong. Um, but seeing her in this movie completely transformed my opinion, and I think she's one of the greatest actresses of our time. Yeah, she's phenomenal from strength to strength. Like, obviously, from Mad Max Fury Road to Young Adult to most recently Bombshell that's opening January next year. Plays an uncanny Megan Kelly in this one. uh, Yeah, Glenn, you sent me those photos, and I'm like, oh, my God, it is uncanny. But she's such a fantastic actress, and Jason Reitman, you know, he's a filmmaker who I've enjoyed his films like, you know, Thank you for smoking, and there was another one before this as well that I can't remember now. Um, so I've been watching him quite closely, but this was the film that really, you know, put him on the map for me. The one before that was the George Clooney one, In the Air, I think it was. Oh, Up in the Air? Up in the Air, which That's the good first film. time I like around, that. I didn't With love. Anna Kendrick. Yes, yeah, Anna Kendrick, and I can't remember who the other female lead is in it. Oh, it's... Um, Virga, Vera yes, Vergara. Yes, Vermeero. Yeah, Conjuring. Um, yeah, and going back and re-watching that film on the strength of how much I loved Young Adult, I really love that too. And I've, I've, I've loved everything Reitman's done, even when it's not completely brilliant like the last film he did, The Front Runner. I find enough value in it. Actually, yeah. the last one might have been Tully, because then I can't remember if Tully or Front Runner came. Where. Anyway, mm. regardless, I love this guy's work. I'm very excited about Ghostbusters. But if you haven't seen Young Adult, you have to see it. It's just incredible. Like, it really is just such a... It's funny, it's a little mean-spirited, mm. um, and it's just fantastic. Yeah, it's great. And it's a, it's really, uh, in your kind of uh, field of films, it's about, you know, that homecoming. Yeah. You know, she's been a successful, you know, um, young adult author. That's where the title comes from, you know, writing young adult fiction books. And she has to come home for a funeral. And so when she comes back, she's kind of like catching up with people that yeah. she hasn't seen. She's got her old flame. Um, and in... Coming back to town for the you know few weeks that she's there, she really turns everyone's life upside down and knows that she could just pick up and go back and yeah. leave at any point in time. Um, so yeah, no, a really cool. great film. Well, as as you inferred just then, if you've if you've listened to me for long enough or you've read enough of my reviews, you'll know that there are certain mm. certain genres or subgenres <laughs> that I really gravitate towards. One of them, obviously, Homecoming. Yeah. The other one being Coming of Age. Yes, I love Coming of Age films, which leads me right into my 2011, which was Super Eight. Oh, course, which yeah, is the J.J. Abrams slash Steven yeah. Spielberg production about yes. the, the kids that film a train wreck and inadvertently film this whole alien invasion kind yeah. of 
story. This was on the cusp of this whole new, I guess, wave of 80s nostalgia. Absolutely. You know, Stranger Absolutely. Things kind of... I I think Stranger Things have riffed off Super 8. Like, oh, undoubtedly. Undoubtedly. Like, really, really yeah. <laughs> gratuitously. It's just a brilliant film. I get into an argument with a specific person that I work with about this one. They think it's one of the worst films I've ever seen. Right. And I can't comprehend that. And I know that person's listening to this, so fuck you. Um, <laughs> this is a brilliant film. Has this that is person a... ever been on our podcast? No, they oh, haven't. They haven't, but they listen, they listen to every single one of them. Right. So. Oh, that's good. That's good. <laughs> Anyway, but yeah, um, you mentioned that it nails the period, yep. and with subtlety, it's not um, super nostalgic or like Stranger Things or those recent, you know, movie yep. outings. It does the period justice, and, and where, where the know. nostalgia comes comes from is that it is Spielbergian, right? Oh, so, absolutely. But, but we've got Spielberg on board, right? So yeah. there's that. Like he's yeah. already imprinted on this film, yeah. so it's not like they're stealing from him or anything like yeah. that. But it goes, it harks back to sort of ET in many ways, yeah, and yeah. practically all of those adventure films that yeah, Spielberg made yeah. in the eighties, and, and it's just yeah. a really, really authentic kind of sci-fi film. It does a little bit of the found footage thing, which was sort of on its way out at the time, yeah, but yeah. then did away with it halfway through, and it became a, a massive monster movie. Yeah, 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 just brilliant. So, Brendan, if you're listening. <laughs> Named in shame. <laughs> 2010. 2010. For me, it was Edgar Wright's Scott Pilgrim versus the World. Oh. And yeah, it was a weird one because I remember seeing it. Obviously, this comes after he'd done Shaun of the Dead and Hot Fuzz before he did The World's End. Uh, and May I just interject yeah. for one second? Right. Are you listening to this, Brendan? Because he argues that that's also one of the best films ever made, whereas I would say it's one of the most overrated films ever made. I love it. I love it. And I saw it theatrically the first time and I was a little like, there's a lot going on. Uh, and it's not what I thought it was going to be, but I immediately rewatched it when it came out on Blu-ray, and I just my I just completely got it and fell in love with the movie. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I just love it. Like I just think it's just wildly entertaining. It's ridiculous. I wish I could love um, it. The music's fantastic. Yeah. And I'll, I just yeah, it's just really fun. And then since then, uh, you know, Edgar Wright went on to do The World's End, which was. Pretty disappointing. Very disappointing. You know, it's yeah. And admittedly, I haven't gone back and rewatched it since seeing it the first time. Um, in fact, I've owned it on Blu-ray now and on 4K, so I probably should watch it because I keep buying I, I it. Kind of reckon um, you should. But then, obviously, it's a real comeback with Baby Driver. But um, yeah, it's got Pilgrim versus the World. It, it's you know, it's a huge nostalgia wave, particularly video games, sort of iconography, comic books. Um, similar sort of music stuff that I grew up on a lot of like you know pop punk sort of stuff of that nature but just a lot of fun and yeah it, yeah that's all that's all I got to say about Scott Pilgrim <laughs> cool well I've got another tie um, right. and I don't know which one to focus on the most um, I'll just mention them and we'll see where it goes but Toy Story 3 yes I think it's, that was a beautiful conclusion Incredible. to the original sort of saga. Probably my favourite in the... Well, number the, four is yeah. now my favourite. Right. I think num oh, number really? four was just an amazing wow. film, yeah. Uh, right. However, at this point in time, 2010, I think mm. Toy Story was about the pinnacle of animation in general. Definitely. Like, it really, really had a lot of heart. Like, I've been Definitely. saying that a lot about my films, that there's always a lot of heart in the films no, I choose. I'm always saying they've got an emotional... You yeah. Know, it's, emotionally. It's like, clearly, that's what I gravitate yeah. towards. So, Toy Story 3 hit me in the feels as well. Mm. Uh, but the other one was Four Lions, which was a really little British yes. film that took on... This is like 2010. Yeah. Right? So, we're hot in the era of mm. like... Anti-terrorism, anti and, and this yeah. was a film that focused on terrorists in a very 
very satirical and yeah, humorous a, way. Yeah, that's it. It was at the heart. It's a comedy, and you're like, who would have thought that you could have got away with making that? I still can't film? believe like you probably couldn't these days. No, no the I racial profiling would be yeah. just unacceptable. Absolutely. Um, but essentially, it's it's about these um, Middle Eastern terrorists running around London trying to kill as many people as they can, but they they fail in every kind of way. Right, right you know, right. everything goes wrong. So it's a almost a I guess a Monty Python esque kind of lampoony kind yeah. of thing. And it's just damn good. Like, I can't sing its praises enough. It was funny, actually, because I was working um, with JB Hi-Fi back in, back in those days. I was working at their uh, support office in the movies department. And when they had their annual DVD conference, which they used to do, get all the buyers in from all the different states across Australia so they'd have the suppliers present you know, their upcoming product and whatnot. That was, from memory, that was the screening they did in 2010 was that. And it was... We had some unusual screening some years, um, but that was a really cool one because it was the right audience for it. But yeah, it had a really mixed reaction um, with regards to it. The most, the worst one they did was Monster in Law, which was Jane Fonda's comeback movie. I don't know, nobody wanted to watch Robert that. Robert like, I mean, Melbourne director. Oh, of course, they did Legally Blonde. Yes. Yeah. yeah, right. Well, yeah, not a great film. Definitely <laughs> not a great film for that conference. Here's, here's a kicker, though. Is um, I had a bit of a say in chasing a film for the conference one of the years, and I was pushing super hard for American Ultra. Oh, um, yeah. Because I thought it looked kick ass, and Max Landis had done some cool stuff. Um, and it wasn't. No, no. And no one dug it. And uh, afterward, they were like, oh, that was a great film, Jared. Great, great work on that one. I was like, <laughs> but on paper, it looked good. <laughs> the trailer played well. And it should have been good, but uh, <laughs> yeah, it wasn't. But, um, but geez, that, so that wraps our decade. Yeah. So what do you want to talk about next? So let's let's bring it right back to 2019. Let's talk about maybe some of the worst films of the year. Absolutely. Should Absolutely. we talk about the disappointments or the actual worst or both? Um, let's kick it off with the worst. <laughs> <laughs> what was your worst film of 2019? Without a doubt, there's an absolutely fucking shit-house film called Reflections in the Dust. Oh, this is the Aussie one. Yeah. Yeah, right, right, right. Now, this, I know, had a lot of um, local support behind yeah, it and whatnot, yeah. but I absolutely deplored this film. Wow. In yeah, every way, shape, or you form. You can get it on Stan now, I think. It's on streaming on Stan. And maybe I bet they paid movies. nothing for it. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know what the business would have been involved with with the film in terms of getting the sale. And that Stan's got its affiliation. You're giving it too much mic time, now. mate. I know. <laughs> I won't give as much mic time to my one, though. I swear <laughs> by that. Uh, my worst film of 2019, hands down, was Hellboy, the new adaptation of Hellboy, wow. which is Neil Marshall's Hellboy. So was there any redeeming qualities to this? Because, I mean, I've seen it. I think it's a terrible film, yeah. too. But the, the one redeeming thing I can find in it is just the the gratuitous amount of violence. Like, yeah. you know, I, I enjoyed that. Gratuitous violence. I mean, it's unfortunately, uh, quite a bit of it was done with CGI, like post yeah. effects and not practical. Disappointing. But just painful. You know, I was, just, I was bored by it. Yep. Everything looked super rubbery and fake. Um, I just had no investment. And yeah, I don't know. I just, I didn't expect it to be, you know, to the standard of the previous films. Yeah. Um, Del Toro's films. But, um, you know, and I heard this was going to be close to the source material, which is which is all fair and good. Yeah. Um, but it was just painfully boring and ridiculous and not entertaining. <laughs> I just, yeah, I don't know. It was just so flat. Well, it's completely uh, fair enough. You know, and and um, the lead chap, I think David Harbour, yep. I think it is from Stranger Things. It felt like he was pretty much playing Ron Perlman's Hellboy. Anyway. He was channeling that yeah, kind of thing. And just 
yeah, it just didn't work for me in any way. I just it's one don't... of those films I will never watch again. And and having seen how absolutely colossally mm. bad this film is, why would they have chosen this new direction and not retained Perlman for a third film? Like, absolutely. Why not made the, make this a sequel to? Absolutely. Just doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Okay, change director. That's fine. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Del Toro was for years trying to get the third film up. Yeah. And I'm sure it would be infinitely better than this. Undoubtedly. Undoubtedly. I don't but get for it. For him, it's great because, look, he's moved on. He's done The Shape of Water. He's got a new film coming out next year. Yep. Um, he's been able to produce a lot more stuff. This year, he produced um, Scary Stories, Son of the Dark, yep. which is a very, you know, sort of more directed at a teenage audience. But yep. I had a thrill with that. It was yeah. Well, the books of that were a teen, were teen yeah, books. Yeah, it's it, it's it's like goosebumps with bloody edge. You know yeah, yeah. I mean? Like this is this is not even gateway. You're you're through the gate with this one. Yeah, really in its world. Yeah, I was really impressed with cool. that. Cool. Well, so we just um reel off a few other words without yeah. much discussion, then discuss some yeah. disappointments. Yeah, absolutely. Right. What else do you got? Well, I've got Velvet Buzzsaw. Oh God, it was horrible. Yeah, terrible. Horrible. Uh, I've also got Three from Hell. Yeah. I think it was fucking awful. Well, you know, I can't say too much. No. no I'm gonna, but I'm I do. I'm stay I'm out sorry. of that one. I'm, um, look, I'm not a big fan of Rob Zombie's work in general, yeah. outside of Devil's Rejects, and I didn't mind his version of Halloween. I, the More so the work print version on the director's mm, cut. Moving along. Okay. Or the theatrical, maybe. Uh, it Chapter yeah. 2. Oh, It Chapter 2. Awful. Yeah. Awful. And The Hustle. I like that. Yeah, I know you do. <laughs> I, I like the hustle. They are my right. they are my worst films of the year. I, I haven't bought it yet. I hope it's in the two for thirty because I'll pick that up. What are some of your worst? Um, Dead Don't Die. Like, yeah. I mean, what a tremendous waste of talent. Uh, not that I expected much, but for Jim Jamoosh to go and do a Zomcom. Yeah. When we've really got past that, like, I mean, Zombieland is probably up, like, along with Shaun of the Dead, are the best Zomcoms. He tried to do some weird sort of, you know, existential thing and, and constantly push this whole message of looking after <laughs> environment, otherwise it's going to come back to bite us, you know, the fracking and all this rubbish. <laughs> and it just was boring. It's kind of like an OK Boomer moment. It's like this, this <laughs> yeah. old guy is just cottoned on to a new totally, craze called totally. Zombies and he's like, oh, yeah, I'll have a crack I'll at that. Crack. And it's sad too because he did such a great job with um, last, I think it was Last Lovers Left Alive maybe or something. I can't mm. remember what it was now with Tilda Swinton. Which was, you know, his vampire film, which wasn't really a comedy, but it's always got those shades of his humour about it. But this didn't have his shades of humour about it because it was just so he's, overt. He's always dumb. been a great filmmaker to me, but I agree. Incredible filmmaker, but this was a dumb, dumb movie. Yeah. And I was painfully bored. And I still had, I went to see it at Miff because I'd heard bad reviews about it, but I had to see it for myself. And yep. yeah, yeah, painfully disappointing. And just a tremendous waste of so many great actors. The ensemble was amazing. It's incredible yeah. how many people are in this movie. <laughs> and it's just shit. Any others? Um, I don't know, man. Like, I've All seen right. some shit this year. Well, how about, <laughs> what about some disappointments? And the difference yeah. being disappointment being stuff that we've had fairly high expectations for that have just disappointed as opposed right. to being just bad. Okay. Well, Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Um, look. Again, my expectations probably weren't high for it, but I, yeah. regardless, was very disappointed. It was the the new Star Wars, yeah, you know, um, rise of the rise of Skywalker? Um, I didn't go in expecting much, but I left feeling like, why did I waste, you know, my time with yeah. this particular picture? Um, and for me, that 
it was kind of the realization of going, do I even really like Star Wars anymore? Yeah. And I was thinking, man, if they release all these films on 4K, I just will buy the original trilogy. I don't care if they're the special editions because I don't know if we'll ever see the original cuts. Well, you know, I fell off the Star Wars train a long time ago. I I don't really have an interest Mm. in it anymore. So I went in with, you know, fairly tepid sort of expectations, but I was just bitterly disappointed. And for mostly the same reasons as you, I don't think it tread new ground. I think it was completely fan service. Um, really gratuitous. Like, I, this is my word of the episode, gratuitous. Yeah. There was gratuitous fan service in it. Absolutely. You know, did, Absolutely. did we need to see those Ewoks? You know, <sighs> did we need Lando's, you know, at the steering wheel of the Millennium and all this kind of stuff? It precisely, just... precisely. It felt like fan fiction at best. Yeah. Fan fiction with um, a huge budget. Yep. Yeah. So... All right, let me reel off some other disappointments. For me, Us, the Jordan Peele film. I loved it. One of my top ten films of the year. Yeah, to me it was it was bottom for me. I, I loved it. I actually enjoyed it more than Get Out, which I, I yeah. liked, but yeah. I didn't love. But I loved Us. Yeah, no, I've I seen didn't. it twice now this year. See, so yeah, yeah, films I love, I've, I end up watching a look, lot. Don't ask me to get into it right now. I'd need to watch it again to be able yeah. to articulate this. But I found a lot of flaws in the whole concept itself, particularly right, like right. the revelation and whatnot. Yeah, just how things work right, within right. the mechanism of the film. Um, another one would be extremely wicked and shockingly vile. Oh, uh, uh, yeah, that was I think that's what it was called, the Joe Billinger one about um, Ted Bundy. Yeah. And yeah. Joe Billinger also directed the amazing docu-series on Netflix about and it. And that was amazing. It was incredible. Incredible. And I thought, you know, if this is the guy that also bought us the West Memphis 3 Paradise yeah. Lost films, right? So this And the Metallica, Some Kind of Monster, and, and the Unabomber documentary. Yeah. This is a yeah. guy that really knows his stuff when it comes to true crime. And to produce a film that really doesn't touch on true crime at all... It gives you like a bit of a prehistory of the character mm. without getting into it. I just had no interest in it. Another one was Gemini Man. I think it was a colossal turd of a film. Right, yeah. I've got to, we've got already, to catch up with that. We've already talked about it. Um, but the other one would be Glass, the M. Night Shyamalan film. Oh my God, I forgot about that yeah. movie. Yes. That I've, oh, I absolute turd. Absolute. I can't believe I, I paid premium pricing for that because I wanted to see it in a cinema with Dolby Atmos, yep. 4K laser projection. And it was just so bitterly disappointing. And I'm, why does M. Night Shyamalan have to come back into the film and reference his character from uh, Sixth Sense? And, oh, because it's funny, don't it, you know? And it's so bad because it, yeah. it was such a minor cameo in, in Sixth Sense. And then they made a whole role, you know, it just was ridiculous. Anyway, the whole film was fucking awful. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> was, I agree. Well, I, I bought it on 4K. Well, the fact I that like a, to, I had to bookend those films. I think like yeah. many people would agree that Unbreakable is one of the great films, incredible of all time. Like it's just yeah, a really, really clever film. It's and it was at the sort of the tip of the um, the new wave of, of superhero films. And then Split came along, and you know it was good. It wasn't as yeah. great, but yeah. it sort of it, it joined those together. It, mm. it felt a little bit tacked on at the end. It did, it did. But it worked. And I thought, well, okay, this is going to be interesting with Glass. And boy, is it a stinker like these yeah. worlds do not come together well um james mcavoy's character well he was impressive in in um split yeah in this yeah. one he just goes over and above and yeah. absolutely falls off the edge it's just too many characters yeah it having so many characters makes it less of an impressive performance i agree yeah you know there's just no room for him to actually yeah. do anything with substance it's just shit out like just in general the, yeah, whole, the anyway. whole entire thing and them trying to bring in some other subplot right at the end of the movie that never existed in this franchise. And you're like, well, why are we bringing this in now? Like, yeah. it wasn't a twist. It was just a, a, a shocking, whopping mm. um, misfire. Yep. 
What about um, Rainbow Last Blood? Well, no. Well, you see, this is one that uh, <laughs> this is interesting actually yeah. because I I really appreciate people not liking this film. Yeah, right. I right. really get it. Yeah, but I really like it. Yeah. Because um, it's a bad movie. Though. A mutual friend of ours, what yeah. calls it Rambo Home Alone or something like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, my review likened it to yeah. Kevin McAllister's house. Oh, yeah, 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 right. yeah. Maybe he's stolen your lines. Yeah. But um, look, yeah. I got a kick out of it. I was interested to know where Rambo had come to. I do wish that this one had been in the Homefront script. Yeah. Remember that yeah. film Homefront, which yeah, was with supposed Jason to, that was yeah. supposed to be Rambo back back when. Yeah. And they was sort it of, Jason Statham? Yeah, yeah, and, and it was and James, uh, yeah, James Franco, James Franco yeah. and they retrofitted it into a new story. Yeah, that should have been the new Rambo. Yeah, but I still like the fact that he was, you know, living out in the ranch. I like that yeah. he went to Mexico. It didn't feel like Rambo at yeah. all. Yeah, and I guess that's where a lot of people had a problem with. This yeah. did not feel legitimately like Rambo. But yeah. at the end of the day, it was all about the blood, the guts. You know, yeah. it was short. It was concise. Yeah. Yeah. Had a kick out of it, and I think I've watched it twice. Right, right. Better the second time, and I think it's just one I'm going to enjoy more and more as I go. You know what's interesting though is obviously we um, we went to yeah we went to a media screening of this movie, yep. and that was a good maybe two weeks before it opened in the states. Yep. And then when the movie opened in the states, they it, lost they lost the they cut out eleven minutes or so, which was possibly the prelude bit, which was which a bit tacky, tacky but, but it was I, the gateway. Yeah, it was the gateway it's scene. It's a setup. It's a setup. It's a setup to why his character's at this point in his life, where he is, and what leads. And to it his also next connects decision. it with the first film environmentally, yeah. like course, where yeah. he is is essentially the same setting of where yeah. we found him in the first place. Of course, like yeah, yeah, he's out in that terrain. But funnily enough, uh, that version that we got here in cinemas that was classified R, rightly so, um, they they've released it locally on Blu-ray, and it's available in the Blu-ray 4K pack. But the 4K is the US theatrical cut. What? Apparently that's the only way the film's been released anywhere in the world so far on 4K is that US theater. I'll be honest cut. with you, I can't imagine yeah. the film without that intro. Weird, isn't it though? Because yeah. what do you have after the intro? You just straight into story. Yeah, and I, don't, I think in the states, I don't know if they've got the ex, like extended version we did. Yeah, Roadshow's released that on Blu-ray and as the Blu-ray component in the 4K, but in the states, no. I thought it was going to be a huge marketing thing in the states that they would release on home and it's like the unrated director's cut. Or well, something. admittedly, yeah. like we said, it's very tacky the intro and. Mm. It's almost laughable, like the dialogue of him telling them to get on the horse. And the production value as well. Yeah, right. But at the same time, like, I mean, I remember the marketing was covered in these pictures from that scene. Yeah. I'm sure in America too. And they must have had people going, well, where's yeah, where's the images. cowboy hat? Where's the, yeah, the horse in the rain? And Yeah. Anyway. That was the first image to be released from the film was yeah. like him with the hat in the rain. Yeah. And it's not even in the American theatrical Strange. Part. But yeah, I, I got a kick out of that one. I know you dug it. And look, I will pick it up eventually just to bookend the Rambo franchise. Um, but for me too, I just felt like it was it was a sad farewell to Rambo. Like I think we... We deserve better. Well, it was considering that know. number four was a pretty surprising film. Absolutely. And it, it, I think, in fact, over time, in my opinion, yeah. the film's gotten better. It's just yeah. a relentless, oh, yeah. bloody action Number movie. four is amazing. And I think, well, that's where this qualifies as a disappointment because yeah. even I can concede that because, you know, my expectations were built very high after number yeah. four. and thought, well, this, you know, Stallone is back at the moment, like, yeah. you know, with Creed and, and all these oh, kind yeah, of things. Yeah, like, you know, he's really peaking again yeah and yeah i thought rambo he would just deliver home given that he's so close to this character too i thought he'd yeah. really give him a good farewell a good send-off he probably should have directed it if he wanted that to happen true very you true. know uh, another one that again i didn't have high expectations for but it's ended up being one of the worst films i've seen this year 
uh, was playing with fire, which is <laughs> effectively it's a family comedy. I contemplated um, going to the cinemas this morning to see that, and I'm I glad thought, you didn't. Uh, yeah, and I mean, it, bad timing for the film to release as well. Like, yes, the film's opened in Australia now, where pretty much every state bar Victoria is being affected by fires. I mean, the Victoria's entire the entire you know, city of Sydney is in, like surrounded yeah, by fire. Yeah, absolutely. They can't they can't get away from the smoke. Um, you know, they're advising people to stay indoors. You know, children can't yep. go to school and that. Um, and this this kids Plain. movie opens up, so they're not going to make it to the multiplex to see it. But the movie is just so tone deaf um, and reeks of DVD, like direct to video. So this is like a, I guess, like Pacifier Two kind of territory, absolutely. Tooth Fairy Two. Yeah, tooth Fairy, yeah, absolutely. How this thing you was there even a Pacifier Two? Or was I just making that no, up? No, but there should have been. <laughs> Larry the Cable Guy could have stepped in. For Kindergarten Cop Two. Yes, yes, with Dolph Lundgren. Cop and a half too. Yeah, coming out how many years later. Yeah. But uh, Playing With Fire, absolutely terrible film. Diabolical. Um, horrible. Like, I wish I'd gotten up and walked out, but I didn't. I Maybe I took my father-in-law along to see it, and you can't just kind of walk out and go, hey, you can only watch half the movie because I'm not enjoying it. No, you can't. Um, You'd be a prick. Yeah, I would be, but yeah, I reckon if I attended Danny and said, do you want to leave, she would have said yes. Uh, but we stuck it out and we watched it. It was just... Oh, it was hair, hair scratching. I've got to admit, there was no real expectation with that oh, to begin wasn't. with. The only thing that for me was, um, I really like the Daddy home, Daddy's Home movies and John yeah. Cena obviously comes into play. John Cena is so much of a better actor when he has a bit part. I just don't like him. He has no personality I to play like a lead. Yeah. No, he can only play a character and when there's a small bit of that, that's okay. But as a lead, zero characters like you could stare into his eyes and it was like looking to the eyes I can't believe that in an end of year wrap up podcast we're talking about playing with fire <laughs> I, I hope I've convinced you not to go and see it at the movies now you Catch might have with it on, on streaming might have the sake. adverse effect on people dude <laughs> um, I don't know I don't know what else has really disappointed me this year it's actually been a really good year for movies I've seen so many good movies in cinemas on streaming on home entertainment at festivals um and, it, and 2020 is going to be a whopping year. You've seen some of the films that are coming out yep. next year already. Like, you, you obviously are at Monster Fest quite a bit, so you've seen Colour Out of Space, for instance. Well, that was a point of um, controversy mm. on my top ten list. Right, okay. Because, right. as it stands, it's still in my top ten list. Mm. Because it's it's had screenings. It's true, yeah. Uh, so, technically, it's yeah. had a bit of a release, I guess, but totally. not an official theatrical yeah. release. So, yeah. I, I, I'm going to know whether to keep it in. Currently, it's at number three. Well, if you move it out, you could move Daffodils in there. <laughs> <laughs> Daffodils is coming in. I actually think I think Booksmart might drop out in oh, yeah, pl- right. okay, with Daffodils yeah, yeah, yeah. squeezing in. But, um, uh, but cool. I'm gonna, I'll ask you. Some... I'll ask you. Does yeah. Colorado Out of Space qualify for a 2019 top 10 list? Uh, look, I've got films in my top 10 that I saw at festivals, but I'm I'm almost inclined to push those films, knowing that they're getting theatrical releases at next year. I'm almost going to push them out into next year okay. to sort of work with that. That's there's interesting. there's so many good films in 2020 that I, uh, 2019 that I can pretty much... See, because already. it kind of balances out because yeah. my number two is a film that got released in Australia early in 2019, but everywhere right. else in the world, 2018. Oh, wow, well, okay. That yeah, was yeah. The Guilty, which is a foreign right. film. Oh, yes, yes, yeah. yes, yes. Uh, Rialto might have distributed that, I think. Yeah, yeah, but do you see what I'm saying? Like, no, well, that when, one's fine. When films get Australian released at the edge... I think Australian theatrical is fine. Like, for me, too, if something gets released on Boxing Day, but I don't get to catch it until the following year, sometimes it's a contemplation that I can be included in that because it's in its theatrical yeah, run. Right. 
One of my greatest regrets was not including La La Land in my list for 2016 <laughs> from memory because I didn't catch it on Boxing Day. I guess Day we need to set parameters otherwise, you know. So I go both theatrical. I mean, in any case, Color Out of Space is coming out February 6th in Australia. Umbrella's releasing right. it. Well, maybe yeah. I will push it to next year. Yeah. I've got like another one is that now I'm contemplating moving is Come to Daddy, which is Aunt Timpson's debut feature. Yeah. And that's going to get a theatrical release in Australia. Umbrella haven't announced when. But that also means I can free up some of my room in my Shit, top man. 10 again. All right. Uh, well, Color Out of Space out. Daffodils in. Excellent. Ah, brilliant. Um, next year, The Gentleman. That opens yep. on January 1st. We can talk about it now because the embargo has been lifted. Yep. We saw this together and we walked out and we were just like exploding in conversation about yeah. this one. It, it's great. It's incredible. It's, it's a return... To form, yeah. it's Guy Ritchie back doing what he did best, you know, with Lock, Stock, and yeah. Snatch. And I actually think this is his best. I think it's sort I think of, it's his best film. Yeah, you know, yeah. It, it's just gloriously like vibrant. It, yeah. The the characters are the best ones he's fleshed out. You can understand these ones. Yeah. <laughs> Do you remember Brad Pitt? You could hardly understand uh, yeah. if that was the point the of it. But <laughs> but yeah, no, it's just yeah, it's, it's beautiful. It just works because I think it's Hugh got, Grant is phenomenal, stunning. It's like you've seen him do uh, bad with. Paddington 2, yeah. which he did exceptionally well. Yeah. But this is next level. Yeah. He's so sleazy and deplorable, did but you at the same time charming and awesome. Do you know he considers his um his role in Paddington 2 to be one of the best he's ever done? I reckon, yeah. I think yeah. it's phenomenal. I do too. He plays against type. In both yeah. these films, he plays against type because yeah. I'm a massive you know Hugh Grant fan. Like, yeah. I love Four Weddings. I've loved a lot of stuff. Even like Lair of the White Worm and things that he's done early in his career. Um, oh, Englishman yeah. went up a hill, came down a mountain. Yes, I love the title. Didn't didn't really love the movie. I need to rewatch it though. But I, was, I do. I was super psyched for that movie. I love it. And I was a bit disappointed when it came out. I, I think I just wanted Four Weddings and Funeral Part Two. Right. Up a hill and back again. Um, <laughs> Notting Hill. Notting Hill classic. Oh my Fucking god. Classics. Got to be cold classic. In fact. Oh, Stone Cold, <laughs> mate. It, it, that would be like top ten rom coms for me. Yeah, it's a classic. Yeah. Absolute classic. Uh, Nineteen Seventeen. We've both seen this recently. Yep. This opens January 9th or eighth yeah. or something yeah. like that. Um, exceptional film. You've definitely got to see it in a cinema because it is an experienced yeah. film. Like, Highly kinetic kind of yeah. film. It's uh, just go start to finish. Mm. You know, it has this premise of one take. It's not it's yeah. not one shot per se, but it's sort yeah. of just the camera follows these characters yeah. from start to finish, and it's just seamless. And it's it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's it really amazing. Uh, another one I really like that I saw at Monster Fest that I hope is getting some sort of release in Australia next year will be One BR, a really mm-hmm. cool thriller. Apartment style thriller, one of my favourites, kind of like a Tenant or Rosemary Baby or something like that. Yep. I, I think the only films I like discussed were Roman Polanski films then. Yeah. Uh, but he's done a lot of those films that are like those apartment complex type thrillers, um, like Sentinel even as well. Well, drop, drop drop a letter from Tenant. We've got Tenant coming out. Oh, yes. That yeah. trailer looks phenomenal. Yeah, it does. It looks like, it totally looks like a new Inception. Yeah, new Christopher Nolan oh film. Um, and it looks just very, very clever the way these scenes reverse themselves. Oh, and oh. oh I'm like already going, oh, yeah. I don't know what it means, but it's all glorious. Like, yeah. I can't wait to see this in a cinema. Yeah. And did you see at the end of the trailer, it's like, um, see the trailer in, you know, in a cinema now sort of thing? And I'm like, you're avid, you're. <laughs> Got a trailer to advertise the film, but the trailer is also advertising to watch the trailer in a cinema. Maybe there's Most a more impressive will. trailer. I imagine the Dolby Atmos would be engulfing. Yep. Um, comes down to you, I mentioned earlier, and Timpson. That one's going to get a release uh, early next year, I believe, with uh-huh. Elijah Wood. Phenomenal movie. 
Uh, what else are you excited about? Yeah, well, Ghostbusters. I think, oh, you know, course, really yes. looking forward to that. Yes. I think the trailer is interesting. I don't. I think the trailer's clever. I don't think it's giving away too much. Yeah, I, agree. I think the film will be a lot different to what the trailer suggests. Yeah, right. I think there'll right. be strong connection to the original. Definitely. Ah, uh, looking forward to Godzilla versus Kong. Yes. Even though I wasn't a fan of you know Godzilla yeah. two, um, yeah. I did love. I, did, I didn't mind Godzilla. 2. I loved Kong Skull Island. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I enjoyed the two Godzilla films, yeah. right? Yeah. But I loved Kong. And I think when Kong these was infinitely when better. these worlds collide, I think it's yeah. going to be interesting. Uh, the Witches, I'm looking forward to that. The adaptation of Roald Dahl. Yes. Yeah, right. Who's doing? Do you know who's in that or who's doing that? Uh, well, Anne Hathaway is in it. Right. I can't remember who's directing. But it's another live action. Yeah. Film. Awesome. Which That's essentially great. will probably. I mean, the original's still very magical. Yeah, um, it's I think this will probably have a very similar kind of feel to it. Excellent. And what was the other one? Oh, the Profane Exhibit, which oh. I was only talking to your co-worker Grant yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, recently about this one because Richard Stanley directed a, um, a segment from it. Right, right. Richard Stanley's the guy that did Colour Out of Space. But he'd also directed a, an installment, or a segment in the previous film from this series right. which is called The Theatre Bazaar. Oh, yes, I remember The Theatre right. Bazaar. So yeah. this profane exhibit has been sort of shot and in the can for I think five years. Never seen the light of day, right. and finally, I think next year it's it's coming out. So Incredible. it's yeah. a, it's extreme horror. If you've seen um, Theatre Bazaar, you'll know that mm. it pushes the envelope. It's very gruesome and depraved. Right. So this is just more of that. Excellent. Uh, another one I'm excited about, which I I can tell you why I'm excited about it. It's because the filmmaker behind it. It's the new Grudge. I've never been a fan of the Grudge. Yeah, I didn't me like neither. the Japanese versions. I didn't like the American versions. I actually never saw the third one, which I think might have been DTV. I think I've got it in a box. I have it. I think the third one has more yeah. appeal to me just because I like dodgy sequels. Of course, yeah, exactly. And yeah, the expectations are certainly lowered when it's headed straight to home end. But this new grudge, the director's Nicholas Pache, who did, um, uh, gosh, The Eyes of My Mother and yep. Piercing. He's yep. such an incredible stylist. Like, Eyes of My Mother, I think, is a remarkable film. Piercing kind of fell apart. I mean, it's based on source material. It's pretty, um, you know, it sticks pretty closely to it. It's just a little anticlimactic, but style-wise, I think it was just magnificent to look at. And yep. Brilliant performances. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm hope for this is that he's really going to turn this thing around and make it his own. And judging by the trailers, it definitely looks that way. Like, visually, it looks super yep. striking. Like, cool. nothing you've sort of seen within that, you know, remakes of J-horror stuff so I'm looking forward to that one it's more a curiosity factor than yeah it's a, yeah. a curio piece and in, in fact that also probably sits with the new Fantasy Island film yeah. because I'm just like I love the <laughs> idea of taking like a 70s early 80s television series that was beloved by many and turning it into a horror film because it, it just lends itself completely to do that yeah absolutely um, did, you, just, yeah. did you see that woeful Peter Dinklage biopic of um, I haven't seen it yet My, My Name is Ave or whatever yeah yeah, yeah. HBO's, it was a HBO production yeah. I haven't seen it yet no 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 good it is awful really yeah oh, he doesn't even shame. resemble the yeah, guy right. from other than the fact yeah. that he's a midget yeah I know am I yeah. allowed to say that I think so okay I think so I mean like you know he's doing pretty well for himself I don't yeah. think he'll be a fan vertically challenged um, vertically challenged but um, oh no that's disappointing yeah I was hoping to check that out but now that's kind of like uh, maybe if it's on the plane with another one that I saw recently that comes out in March and actually really excited about it, um, is Military Wise because I think you'll love it. Yep. Um, it's what I kind of deem an old woman's movie. Mm -hmm. um, it's the kind of movie you can take your mum along to, your grandma along to. Everyone's going to have a riot of time. I loved it. I was listening to songs from the film because they 
you know, it's a it's a military wives choir that they form whilst their husbands are away on yeah. you know active duty, and so they find things to kind of keep their spirits up, yeah, cool, busy, and they do some great. Songs. I like those kind of yeah. films. Yeah, They're always crowd pleasers. I think you're gonna love it. Yeah, yeah. You take your mum along to see it. Yeah, I mean, it's I really like that good. tall um, potato peel pie. Yes, you know, society. The, the Goonsy. Yeah, yeah, yeah that was a good yeah, film. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. My um, my cohort Ben Hellwig at Monster Fest absolutely loves that film. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, he's always eyeing it off when it's on sale. He's like, oh, I probably should get that. He should have he it by it now, up. damn it. I, I reckon he should too. <laughs> I reckon he should too. Is there any others that are kind of. No, well, that's about excited? it. I, yeah. I never really get too excited about films. I just like to take them as they come. But th- those yeah. are the ones that really yeah. do it for me. I think of all of those, maybe Ghostbusters the most. Yeah, um, definitely. I mean, it's going to be a crazy July because like, the new Ryan Reynolds film comes out, um, which I can't remember the name. Something Guy, Free Guy. Is that the Michael Bay one? No, that one's the one. That, that's on Netflix now, Six Underground. That's right. Of course yeah, it is. Yeah, that one's of gone straight to Netflix. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah. No, this one's that Free Guy where yeah. it's such a bizarre Fantasy cool concept. looking? Well, yeah. It's, it's, it's He is a bit character in a video game as yeah. such. But then one day he kind of decides in a very Truman Show fashion, like, hang on, what if I just do something different? Yes. And then he becomes yes. kind of the hero in someone else's I've adventure. seen the poster and I've heard yeah. the gossip, but I've not watched the trailer. Trailer's utterly Ryan Reynolds okay. doing yeah. Ryan Reynolds. But super I'm charming getting, I'm getting a bit tired of Ryan Reynolds. I will never tire of Ryan Reynolds. I've got all the time in the world. I, I, love, crush. I love Ryan Reynolds, I've but there's, the o- there's only so much Ryan Reynolds um, that you know I can yeah. handle, I guess. Maybe only so yeah. much in one year I can handle. Yeah, well, that's true. Well, I think this might be the only one he's got next year. Okay, cool. Possibly. Is there another Pokemon? Uh, I don't know. I enjoyed yeah, that too. That was good. You didn't, you didn't get to see much of Ryan Reynolds in that one at least. No, <laughs> you got to hear a lot of him, but that, did, uh, that, that just fell out of my top 10. That was I, really I cool. It was like such an unexpected cool film. Yeah. Like It's one of those few things that you base on like game sort of source material and ends up being amazing. Yeah. I don't know how true to the game it was, but God, it was good. Well, it's taken that many forms yeah. over the years. Oh, that, God, you know, yeah, exactly. Yeah, can do what it wants, but what can you do? All right. Well, that pretty much wraps us up. Right. That's been a that's been a hefty episode, it mate. It has. It has. That is it. That's the end of 2019 for what us. So I just want to thank everyone for listening. This William been... Roadley in particular, I want to thank him because uh, I got to meet him at Monster Fest in Brisbane. He's such a lovely guy. He's our He's number one fan. He is a total firm supporter of everything we do. So thank you, William. We um we love you, mate. Yeah, we appreciate you. We appreciate everyone that's listened and commented. Please continue to comment and listen and like and while that might be the end of us for this year we are back next year with an all new podcast is a whole different one it's a weekly formatted show called good movie monday it's going to be half an hour every monday morning listen to it throughout the week you can comment you can uh, join in the discussion and uh it's going to be everything that happens in the world of cinema every week every week excellent Can't yes wait so make sure you like us on the facebook page good movie monday I think that's about it for us. That's it, man. Thank All you right. for a wonderful 2019. Mate, and I'll, uh, I'll be seeing you in the cinema in 2020, my friend. <laughs> that's tacky. <laughs> <laughs>